Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Earlier this month, we aired a show about how our communities should respond to increasing acts of hate across our nation. Connecticut is not immune. That show got a lot of response during and after the broadcast. One of the callers was a New Haven woman who stressed the importance of tolerance. She urged listeners to consider that violence and further hate speech to counter these incidents will do nothing to heal a nation divided. And while the presidential campaign drew attention to the divisions within our country, another caller told us to remember there's still a lot of good happening in our towns and cities. That sentiment drew us to this next story out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's a story of partnership between two different faith communities. Joining us now from the studios of WSHU in Fairfield is Reverend Sarah Smith, Senior Minister of the United Congregational Church in Bridgeport, and Mohammed Hamada, Community Board Member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. Reverend Smith and Mohammed, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, Lucy. Nice to be with you today. Well, I want to start first with uh, Reverend Sarah. Can I call you Reverend Sarah? That's what everybody calls me. <laughs> Tell us about your church. I understand it's had a, a very long history. Um, but... We're older than God, <laughs> yes. Um, we came here. We were the original pilgrims. We're 321 years old. We started on Park Ave when it was called Division Street and Meeting House Hill. And uh, we, we've moved around a bit. We were the Wasp Church in the 50s. And uh, we have a big, grand, glorious uh, Georgian Revival uh, church on the corner of Park and State with a steeple that is known, it's iconic in the city, as a beacon of hope. Um, and we're getting ready to turn a page and start the next chapter of our wonderful history. You mentioned it was a, a big church. So at, at one time, how big was the congregation and where does it stand now? Well, um, like most churches, we have uh, shrunk a bit, but the bubble of the 1950s was a bubble. Uh, church was never big anywhere. And then we went through this post-World War II where that was a cultural thing to do. And we had 3,000 members back then, and they would all show up on Sunday decked out, you know. And so they needed a building to hold them. And we have a 22,000-square-foot building. It's glorious. It's magnificent. We love it. But we are 300 now, and we're strong. We're active. We're a vital congregation but if we didn't do something, that building would kill us. And I just couldn't let that happen. I thought it was unethical and irresponsible as a spiritual leader to let my wonderful congregation that has so much going on. We got old people, young people, babies, everything in between to let that pass into another history book rather than say, OK, let's have the courage to figure something out for a new chapter. And when did you begin that process? I assume you had oh. to get your congregation on board. Well, we've been planting seeds because I knew it was going to have to happen eventually. They knew when I went to the elders of the church with this plan that just sort of landed in our laps in October with uh, the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. 
the elders of the church, we call them life deacons, they said, oh, we've been talking about this for 20 years. We knew it was just a matter of time. And we've been living half of our budget out of what we call our endowment, which was a gift from our ancestors. But you're not supposed to live on it. You're supposed to just use the earnings of it. And we've been using the principal. And our investors came and said, you know, you got three years if you keep going like you're going. And so all the seeds that we've planted, I started watering them a lot. And um, I think because we know we knew it was coming, but we also had a plan. And we had planted a seed. And and then they just sprouted. And every time, as through this process, every time we needed a lifeboat, God sent a lifeboat. And that's what Bridgeport Islamic Community Center is to us, but then also to our outreach corporation that feeds thousands of people every week. Uh, this arrangement also saves it. So we're good. You're mentioning this arrangement. I wanted to bring Muhammad into the conversation. Um, you are a, a community board member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. So the UCC in Bridgeport needed to find something to do with this building. It was becoming too costly for them to run, given the size now of their congregation. They wanted to sell it. Uh, when did when did the Islamic Center, um, you know, decide to come forward and say that you know this might be a place for us? Well, um, let me just give you a little bit of background, right? So um, the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center was established back in 2000 with a vision to um, have a place where uh, community members can do more than just praying. They need to do uh, other activities. Uh, a large portion of that is teaching uh, our young kids uh, what some people may call moderate Islam, but we call it true Islam because um, uh, Islam is moderate in nature. Uh, so we had um, a small building on uh, Clinton Avenue in Bridgeport, but it, it, it became uh, too small for us um, to, to have uh, all of our community members there. So we started looking for uh, a bigger uh, place. We've been looking uh, for about two or three years now for another place. And, you know, being uh, partners with the United Congregational Church, uh, we know them very well. They know us very well. So they knew about our search. And when it became time for them uh, to, um, what's the word here, Reverend? Well, Downsize? We were, well, we were downsizing. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what we are. I mean, I if, a family, if a family came to me right. in cr financial crisis and said, we have this big house, but our more, you know, it costs this much. I'd say get a smaller house. Exactly, and so yes. that's what they did. And we've known BIC for mm -hmm. years. And we through the Tent of Abraham, our interfaith work, and our church has been a leader in that. Right. And we trust these people. We love these people. We're friends with these people. We've done sacred conversations on religion. We are a firm believer that there are many paths to God. And the main thing is you get on it and dig deep into it. And so it doesn't take away our Christian faith. It deepens it because then we stand next to someone one who their faith means something. And Bick had talked to us right. last spring. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, no, we're not quite ready. So when all, everything happened in September, I emailed one of them and I said, are you still interested? And they yeah. came back, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we were honored uh, that we were the first uh, people they approached and possibly, and you can confirm that, Reverend Sarah, the only people they, they approached. So it, it, was a, it was a great honor uh, for us. Uh, to be considered um, as the next, you know, uh, owners of, of, of that beautiful building. Well, and this one day, Lucy, they, they came in and they looked at our sanctuary or the majed that they will have as a place of prayer. And see, on the outside of our building is a wonderful 
quote from the Jewish scriptures from Isaiah, and it says, This house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, I doubt the Congregationalists back in 1924 when we built this building, which is our sixth building, they, I doubt they thought it was going to be Muslims would be praying in there, but we are living out that prophet. We're living out that beautiful words of wisdom. And the one, the thing where my light went off was when the big leaders said to me, this will always be a house of prayer and your people are always welcome. This is where we, we live. we want the United Congregational Church to be active in the community because you do outreach better than ever. We want you to stay and do your outreach here. We're on the corner of Park and State in your building. But we'll have it as our center. But we want you to do our outreach. We'll learn from you and we'll partner with you. When they said that to me, I knew we could make it. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. That's Reverend Sarah Smith, a senior minister of the United Congregational Church in Bridgeport, and Mohammed Hamada, community board member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. They're joining the conversation today from the studios of WSHU down in Fairfield. We're talking with them because they have an interesting arrangement, a partnership. Uh, the UCC is selling their church. Uh, it's gotten too big for their congregation. Too big, as uh, Reverend Sarah Smith mentioned, that's Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. Now, both of you sound very passionate and you believe in that this is going to work, but there's got to be sentiment in the community at a time where we hear about divisions within faith communities, about the idea of a Christian church turning into a mosque. How do you approach that? Well, I first remind them that we are cousins. We all come from the father of Abraham, uh, our father, the a- Abraham. And I think he'd be so pleased. We have been a fractured family, the Christians and Jews and Muslims. We've done enough killing in God's name. And it is time to show that we are kinfolk. And we might pray differently, but we pray to the same God. And we might look different. We might even sound different. We might dress different. But, you know, um, if you hold on to your faith, there's a great Buddhist saying, there are many wells to the one water. And whatever well you drink from, drink from it deeply. And when you drink from your faith deeply, then you can respect that someone else does too. And to me, we're being continuing to be a beacon of hope on that corner because we already had Jews involved in our outreach, and now we're going to have Muslims. And the children of Abraham are going to make world peace on the corner of Park and State and, of all places, Bridgeport, Connecticut. That, that's a great point, Reverend Sarah. So we're all humans, right? We're all the sons of Adams and Eve. We, we may do things different, but, you know, at the end, we, we're pretty much the same. We're people. We We... We get sad for for the same things and and happy for the same things. We we care about our kids. We love our you know spouses. We we're people. Um, and uh, in in terms of the sentiment, uh, Lucy, um, my own belief is the Bridgeport uh, or the Greater Bridgeport um, community has done advanced work in in the interfaith um, field, right? So we've been doing interfaith activities for many, 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 many years. When, yes, when, when did the tent of uh, Oh, we've Abraham been doing start? interfaith work for 50 years. Okay, This so is not new. For for me personally, I, I the first interfaith event I, I joined was in 2009. But we do uh, a good number of interfaith events every year. We have the Thanksgiving at the United Congregational yeah, uh-huh, Church. We, do we big have interfaith. a Ramadan 
uh, breakfast, uh, what we call iftar. Um, <laughs> and then we have an uh, interfaith Passover the, at the and synagogue. The Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do other activities as well. We, we did the cleaning of the city. We cleaned up a park. And, oh, yeah. All uh, kinds so, of stuff. So, so we it, don't feel that sense. It sounds like you guys are good at, at partnering. And we're going to hear more about how you're going to transform again this church into a mosque. After the break, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, I'm speaking with Reverend Smith, Senior Minister of the UCC in Bridgeport, and Mohammed, Mohammed Hamada, Community Board Member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. Now, how common are these sales from one faith community to another? And how does a building that once housed a Christian church get transformed into a mosque? We're going to find out after the break. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking to two Connecticut residents about a unique partnership in Bridgeport that will turn a Christian church into a mosque. The UCC church at the corner of State Street and Park Avenue will be sold to the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. And by May, the sale is expected to be completed. The building will be transformed into a mosque that serves 1,000 Muslim families. Joining us from the studios of WSHU in Fairfield, Reverend Sarah Smith, Senior Minister of the United Congregational Church in Bridgeport, and Mohammed Hamada, Community Board Member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. And Muhammad, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, talk about the process of, of transforming this church building once the sale is completed. You know, how will you do that? So I, I think we were asked that uh, question before. So not much. <laughs> uh, we, we just need to um, make a few uh, changes. Um, so we will take the pews out, of course, and, and put a carpet in, in, in place. Uh, we may need to add uh, more uh, restrooms. Um, I thought we had 14. That's not enough. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, Lucy, they've been very respectful that Christians are going to take the Christian symbols, that they didn't want anybody to say the Muslims were de-churching the building. And so we'll take the cross off the steeple. And uh, we're trying to take the crosses out of our – we have three beautiful stained glass windows. And we're trying to figure out how to do that and then replace them with mm-hmm. glass that the um, BIC would like. And then we're you know, because we're congregationalists, our, our sanctuary is beautiful, but it's not adorned with a lot of Christian symbols. And so we're going to take some historic plaques off the wall and, you know, things like that, our baptismal font. And we're lining that up slowly but surely to uh, – take care of all those things. But, you know, the basement is going to be where all of our uh, outreach through the not-for-profit I started, the Norma Freem Urban Outreach Initiatives, Inc. It's a 501c3 um, outreach corporation. And we had about eight, nine really good, strong programs. We have doubled that since BIC came into the picture. And we are just booming. And we'll we'll be down in the basement. They're going to give us rent-free so we can mm-hmm. feed people together. And we're gonna we're gonna keep feeding our neighbors, keep clothing them, keep educating, keep we're at the only emergency shelter in the city. And we're gonna keep doing that. We're already doing that, along with the big programs that are coming in to help our neighbors. And so the, the it's gonna be a beehive. It will be much more than just a mosque. But it's uh, Muhammad can yeah, speak more yeah, to that. And, and and just just to add to that and, and give you um some perspective. So um when the United Congregational Church um, Board indicated that after the sale, they would like to continue their outreach program. 
the um, decision from the board of directors of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center was unanimous. It came back with one word, absolutely. This is, this is what we do. This is um, a major part of our Islamic teachings to care for um, the less fortunate people, to be good to our neighbors. And just to give you a quick story, uh, because there, there is a lot of uh, misconceptions out there. Um, um, uh, so I would like to just give you a quick story about Prophet Muhammad. Uh, at, at his time, uh, he had a neighbor uh, who rejected Islam and didn't like his message and um, used to throw garbage or her garbage rather in front of his house every day. And uh, one day Prophet Muhammad came out and there was no garbage. So he asked, well, what happened? Um, and people told him that that lady is sick that day. He went to visit her to make sure she's well. So it's our duty to be good to our neighbors. And everybody in Bridgeport mm -hmm. is our neighbor and make sure that we help those who are in need. So mm -hmm. I, I thank you, Reverend Sarah, for, for all the work you've done. And we are very excited to join you in it because this is what we want to do. And uh, so it's going to be a buzz down there. And we um, – but, you know, I think somebody somebody asked me, are you going to unconsecrate the, the sanctuary? I'm like, absolutely not. This is a holy place no matter who prays in it. And we're going to make it holy because we also all Jews, Christians, Muslims on that corner are going to live out what our faith tells us is to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, to shelter the homeless. Yeah. And we're going to do it even bigger and better than we've ever done it. And we're going to do it together. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, we're talking about an interesting a partnership happening in Bridgeport, Connecticut, between the UCC Bridgeport and the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center. I wanted to turn back to you, Mohammed. Um, you said that not much will change. Obviously, the Christian, um, you know, crucifixes, the baptismal font will be removed uh, um, by the UCC. Um, but when you look at this, is not like this is the only time this transact kind of transaction has happened. We've heard about churches closing around our country um, and, and also around other other. Uh, communities around the world. Do you look to how those the process happened in other communities um, to how it would work for you in, in Bridgeport, Connecticut? Well, every every community is, is, is unique, right? So we we do what we think is, is right for us. Um, um, I, I haven't been involved in how other communities transformed their um, buildings. But for us, you know, we, we don't see much change. And we, we discuss that uh, on a regular basis in, in our board meetings. Um, again, minor, very minor changes are needed to the building. It's, it's a beautiful building. I, I wish you can come down, Lucy, and, and, and see it one time, uh, even before, uh, before the sale. Uh, but um, the building is, is very good as it is. Uh, we're just going to uh, make some adjustments um, to the way we, we pray. That, that, that's all. They're going to face a different direction because they face Mecca. So, um, and, and I won't get to preach. That's the big thing. But I want to make sure people know the United Congregational Church is not dying. We, we started Bridgeport. We were the first thing in Bridgeport 321 years ago. We're making another 321 years of history. We're going to go down the street and lease a space from the Bessemer Center. It's uh, the center of one of our sister UC, uh, United, uh, United Church of Christ. That's what denomination we are. It's one of our sister churches in that denomination. And then we're going to get our sea legs, get grounded, 
And uh, we're strong, we're active, we're vital, we're loving, we're together. Um, this process has actually pulled us closer. And we're going to go down to Bessemer Center, do our churchy things, and then eventually we'll find the next building, the seventh building for United Creational Church. And we're going to keep doing our outreach, though, at the corner of Park and State with our good friends of BIC. And so um, our not-for-profit wins, our neighbors win, BIC wins, United Creational Church wins. This had God all over it. And, um, and because we listened and we had courage. And we defied what people said we could do. We went against stereotypes. We went against hatred. We said, no, on this corner, we live differently. Mm -hmm. We believe differently. We have respect and dignity. And we, it's not just tolerance. It's beyond tolerance. It's acceptance. It's, it's respect. It is love. It's um, being a friend. And we're going to do all that together. And, um, so now on our board of our outreach, we have intentionally now not just to have random uh, a Jewish person or a Muslim person, Christian person. We are going to intentionally put that so not only are we having BIC be volunteers and our and the person that we that runs our building, and I'll run all the outreach programs, but we're going to have it from the governance on down. Reverend Smith, if I could ask you, what kind of negative feedback have you received? Oh, a little here or there, you know, um, but... Not much because, um, um, and also I don't, I don't play into it. I so firmly believe that this is where we need to go and how we need to do it and that this is a blessing for everyone. And I am not threatened by Bic. I know who I am. I know what I believe. And I respect what they believe. I, ta- I used to teach world religions at a university in Buffalo, New York, when I was a minister back there. And I've worked at Interfaith my whole ministry career after I was a lawyer. And it is makes my faith richer. It takes nothing away. And, and then also we can be a beacon of peace. And we need that in our world. We've got to quit killing each other in God's name. And we kill physically, but we also kill each other's souls. And so we haven't gotten much, a little bit, but I just don't pay much attention to it. I go right on, and we are going to show, not just tell, we're going to show how we can live in peace. And, Mohammed, I'd like to ask yeah. you that same question. Mm-hmm. What kind of negative feedback have, has, has, has been received? We haven't gotten any uh, negative feedback, but you have to assume that um, there, there are some people who are not happy with this, right? I mean, right. <laughs> you don't have to be genius to, to figure <laughs> that out, right? But the only way we can deal with this is to face hate with love, Ignorance with knowledge mm-hmm. and intolerance with empathy, and you know I salute Reverend Sarah and and her uh, congregation for um, doing what they did from a strength, um, you know, uh, position. Right, it, it, as she said, it, this is this does not weaken uh, the United Congregation Church. Uh, I, people should have more respect for for what they did. It, it takes a lot of courage and wisdom. To do that, uh, w- w- would they have been better um, to to wait uh, five more years, burn all the cash they have, and then close it and shut yeah. it down and let what the build- let the be. city take over the building and and it becomes an abandoned building and people break into it? I mean, was that a better choice? No. So it, it shows wisdom and courage. Uh, <laughs> thank and, you. And I, I, I do salute you for oh, that. Oh well, thank but, you. Um, 
One one thing to 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 say here about the um, negative uh, sentiment out there, and we cannot ignore it or or, or hide from it. Uh, I mean, you know, after all the um, uh, vicious events that happened in in, in the past years, um, you know, since nine eleven or or even before, Muslims were faced with two choices: either hide and go into a shell or come out and show themselves and show what true Islam is. And that's why uh, Muslim communities across America, not just here in Bridgeport, uh, across the whole country, uh, became very, very active in interfaith event. When we talk to somebody in California, do you guys have interfaith event? Again, absolutely yes. Um, uh, even in, 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 um, in Connecticut here, the Interfaith Council of Southwest Connecticut, um, uh, its president um, is uh, Dr. Karim Adib, uh, who's a Muslim. And, and that um, uh, council has a number of churches and synagogues. Mm-hmm. So Muslims had to be active in interfaith um, activities to show who they are. And that's the only way we can deal with that negative uh, sentiment you're, you're referring to, uh, Lucy. We have to bridge the knowledge gap. We have to educate people. And I ask your listeners, if you have any misconceptions about Islam, if you have mistrust, uh, negative views, come learn about Islam from us. Come mm-hmm. visit us. Ask mm-hmm. us what Islam means. Yeah. We'll let you know. Don't, don't get your Islamic education <laughs> from Sean Hannity or, or anybody else. Come learn from us. Learn about yeah. Muslims I have said from a, Muslims. Muhammad, I have said in, mu- <laughs> in sermons again and again on interfaith, and I think this is why my church was ready, because we have, we've been trying to get well-versed in it. And I remember one day I said, if you don't know a Muslim, get to know one, because they're, they're amazing people. Ask us whatever question yeah. you have, well, and we're happy Muhammad, to answer. Muhammad, yes. I would like to ask you to tell me about um, the faith families in your community that are growing, where do they come from and their professions? Ah, they, I mean, it's, it's a very diverse um, uh, community. So we have people from every country you can think of. Um, we have um, people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, Syria, Egypt, Jordan, uh, you name it, uh, China, uh, Indonesia, uh, India. Um, all, all countries in terms of professions. And some uh, that are and, just and, from right here, right? I and, mean, they're some, just homegrown. And some, and some are right. from here, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but everybody has uh, roots somewhere, sure. right? So uh, in terms of professions, we have a good number of college professors at, at the uh, Fairfield University, Sacred Heart University. We have Muslim professors here, uh, University of Bridgeport, um, uh, I myself work for, you know, uh, um, one of the f- uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies. Oh, I uh, need to get to know you better, okay? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a very highly educated community. Uh, all people who came from other countries looking for a better life like everybody else, Lucy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, nobody left their country, whether it's Italy or Ireland, to come here to have, you know, what they have. Everybody was looking for a better life and a better opportunity, and Muslims are no different. We're just looking for a peaceful, better life to live. Lucy, when we sat down to negotiate the terms of our sale, um, I was with uh, Mr. George Carter, who's chair of the People's Bank Board here in Bridgeport, and uh, just a 
a wonderful man. He's also chair of our trustees. And then another one of our trustees, Dr. Don Gibson, who's a dean of the business school at Fairfield U. And and uh, after this, it was it was like something I had never experienced. And the respect, and the, it was a holy event. And uh, George, who um, doesn't talk about spiritual stuff very often, and he, he went home and he told his wife, he says, that was one of, I've done business dealings my whole life, but that one was like none other I've ever done. The the camaraderie, the respect, it wasn't who can get a better deal. It was how do we take this, you need this, we need this, and make it work. We were problem solvers together. And it was I mean, it was just really, um, we all felt it that night. Yeah. We all had tears in our eyes that we were changing the world. Yeah. And, uh, Lucy, I may have got myself in trouble here uh, by not mentioning Brazil as one of the countries <laughs> uh, Muslims come from. So my wife just sent me a text. So. <laughs> Don't forget the Brazilians. Oh, my goodness. You just opened a can so, of worms. So we just have a few more minutes. But I wanted to just ask you again, um, Reverend Smith, you mentioned when you sat down um, to finalize this agreement um, to transfer uh, the UCC building uh, to the to, to BIC, the Bridgeport Islamic Community mm-hmm. Center, um, you know, what was any feedback from the city or historic preservationists? And I'm just curious, you know, who was at the table? Well, it was um, eight uh, of the people of the Bix Council and then the three from our church. And um, we shook on it. We met twice. We only had to meet twice, and we came up with a sale price that we could all live with. We are doing owner financing, so we're sort of like the bank, and we're giving BIC a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so we will continue to be in relationship for the next seven years, and I hope after that. We worked out um, the purchase, but then we worked out a lease for our outreach corporation to remain in the building. And we're, you know, we're uh, then we have to, of course, let the lawyers earn their money. So they're duking it out over all the details. But um, the it was a gentle person's agreement around that table. And we are seeking to honor it, even with the lawyers. And um, but that, you know, we the historic the outside of the building will not change as far as the stuff that makes it a historic building and inside it's not really going to change much either and we will take our cross we will take our altar we will take our baptismal font we're going to sell our pews two churches have already called somebody wants to buy our big austin 6000 pipe organ i mean all these things you know the people are coming out of the woodwork to help us make it happen and we're sharing the cost with Bic of of fixing the stained glass and so it's been a real partnership and it's sad now lucy i can't ignore it's hard on my people you know you as you know whether you're christian or muslim or jew you you nest where you are even buddhists nest um and so it's hard to lose this magnificent building where you've gotten married or baptized your children or buried someone you love or all the things that are matter in life. And um, but in our Christian faith, we're going to go through Good Friday. We're going to have Good Friday there and we will have a loss, but we will have Easter. We will have new life. We will have new hope. And um, so it's actually that will be our last Sunday in the building will be Easter Sunday. And then we will process at the end of the service over to our new home and um and then we'll turn the keys over May 1. And we're going to all be good. We're going to all make a difference. And frankly, I'm happy uh, that this far along in my career, I get to say I helped change the world. Hmm. 
Reverend Smith is Senior Minister of the United Congregational Church in Bridgeport. Mohammed, I'll let you have the final word. Um, you know, what does this partnership mean to you um, in this particular moment? It's a different phase for us. So now, not only that, we're going to have a beautiful building um, that is going to be, uh, be a better fit for, for our community, but we are going to be real partners on real charity work. I mean, uh, how, how do you rate your uh, outreach programs? We're the uh, best there is. Absolutely. We're a five-star food pantry, a domestic violence food it's, pantry. It's a we have a soup kitchen, our shelter. That everybody yeah. should be part of, regardless of religion. When it comes to helping the poor or helping your neighbors, religion is not involved. I, I remember... Um, uh, back in 2010, when um, there was an earthquake in, in Haiti, mm-hmm. we did um, the, the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center uh, partnered with the University of Bridgeport and the Muslim Association, uh, the uh, Muslim Student Associations at the University of Bridgeport. And we did an interfaith fundraising for um, the uh, the earthquake Haiti, in Haiti, Haiti yeah. Earthquake we, we, victims. Mm-hmm. And we had a charity, uh, a Muslim charity organization a Jewish charity organi- mm-hmm. organization, and uh, a Christian charity organization. That's the way it's supposed to work, That's that right. we all come together as humans to help whoever in need and put religion aside. Well, well or let oh, our Reverend Smith, Reverend us. Smith, we're going to be having to go to break now. But it was so great to talk with you. Again, Mohammed Hamada is community board member of the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center, and Reverend Sarah Smith, senior minister at the United Congregational Church in Bridgeport. Now, coming up, we continue an occasional series on where we live, where we profile immigrants living in Connecticut. After the break, we'll meet Polish native Roman Novak. Stay with us. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We have an occasional series on the show that highlights the stories of immigrants living in Connecticut. They come from many different backgrounds. They're white-collar or blue-collar workers. They're artists or students. Roman Novak is one of those immigrants. He was born in war-torn Poland, but he's lived in Connecticut for a long time now. The New Britain resident is a business owner, a philanthropist, and a community leader. Roman joins us now to tell us more about his journey to the United States. Roman, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm being glad to be here. So tell us about your childhood in Poland. Well, I tell you, it was, uh, was hard for me. I lost my father when I was 10 years old. So so my mom had six, six kids, and uh, I have to struggle with that uh, <clears throat> when I was young. And so you were living in Poland at a time where it was under Soviet control? That's correct. Tell us about that. I, I wasn't involved in the, directly with the communists, so... But I was a hard life, hard living over there, you know. It's like, uh, uh, not like here, you know. It's, uh, I don't have a car. <laughs> there was a dream in Poland to, to have a car that time, you know. So the uh, communist was a, was a uh, hard hard way to, mm-hmm. and they'll control everything. Let's put it this way. So it's not that easy, you know. And this was a country torn by war. You were born in 1945. Tell us that's about that a, impact. An end of the war. You know, that's, that's what it is. I, I don't remember anything from war, of, of course. But um, but uh, my mom taught me a lot about it. And, uh, and my father even uh, <clears throat> have some uh, friends that say, you know, uh, my father was name, name is Joe, Joe uh, Joseph, you know, don't stick a nose anywhere, and you can go through the war. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you get interesting about a lot of stuff, then then you've been in trouble. So I understand in seventh grade you left school to work as a laborer. What was that like to leave school? Well, I leave home and uh, to go to look for work because, like I said, my mom has, uh, you know, six kids and then uh, I'm glad they, they, you know, have a mother like that, you know, but uh, of course in Poland it was hard to to, to work and uh, make some extra money. Mm-hmm. You eventually married and, and had three daughters, but you were talking about, you know, just finding work. It was difficult. So that led you to leave Warsaw, and you ended up in a country um, that many of us know about these days, and that's Iraq. Tell us about that journey. Well, Iraq was the first, uh, <clears throat> of course, first time I ever go out of Poland. I was going to Iraq, and that, that was the, uh, you know, that was a big surprise. But Iraq wasn't that much, that much difference of Poland. We were working on a desert, and then, then uh, we, I see the all Iraqis, the poor that was working for my team over there. You know, and that was uh, kind of, you know, uh, you find a different way to, to, to live. Mm-hmm. And so you were working for a, a Polish-based construction company, Co- Mosul. That's correct. In Mosul, uh, about 25 uh, miles uh, northeast of Mosul, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're in a desert. It's hot. You must miss your family. Yeah. At some point, we work at night. You can't work during the day. It was like it was 110, 120 degrees. You know? But I miss my family. That's, that's correct. And how long were you there? I was in Iraq for one uh, one year, then went to Poland for vacation for like two weeks, and and after after two weeks I go back, and after a few months, I decide to do something different. And what did you decide? I decide to look for other country. I, I dream of America. My dream was come here, so so uh, I left uh, Iraq. I went to Kuwait. And I went to a uh, 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 U.S. Uh, council in Kuwait. And then they tell me, well, you know, we can help you not here. You have to go to Beirut, to Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So I went to Lebanon, go to embassy. So they also directly, they, I was thinking that, you know, you go to embassy, hey, here's the visa, go to U.S. But they tell me, you got to wait one year mm-hmm. to get to U.S. If, if you get, uh, uh, you know, Permission to go there, of course. Yeah. So you took a big risk because you know you're you're <clears throat> trying to escape Soviet rule. Um, you're in Iraq working for a Polish-based uh, company, and now you're trying to seek asylum to come to the U.S. I mean, when you were told that you had to wait, what did you do? Well, at some point I was kind of you know uh, thinking about to go back to Poland because you know I got three kids there. You know that uh, uh, youngest daughter was nine months old when I left. So, but I have some friends in, in Lebanon, and they help me a lot. They the people with the big heart. They give me room. They give me food because I have no I no work, okay, no money, and they they provide that for me for one year, and that was big, 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 big help for me. And there was of course inspiration. I said, go to U.S. Don't worry, don't don't give up. So finally, one year exactly. I come to U.S. Mm-hmm. 1973, at 23rd of May. 
You remember that day vividly? I remember that day. Mm, what was yeah. that like? To Did you fly into JFK? I fly to JFK, and um, <clears throat> like I say, I stay overnight, one night in New York City. I wake up in the morning, everybody speaks English. Oh, my gosh, you know. I, of course, in in, uh, in Beirut, I, I didn't waste my time for one year. I went to U, uh, U.S., uh, the university, America University in Beirut, mm-hmm. to learn English, a little bit of English. Tell me what would have happened if um, that visa had not come through and you were in Lebanon. What would have happened to you? Well, I guess you you got to take some other choice. I was uh, thinking also go to Australia. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you have some... but it, they're probably going to take more time, you know. You risked prison if you had been found out. Oh, of course, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. At least till the communist fall, though, mm-hmm. you know. And how did you communicate with your wife about your plans? Well, we send, uh, I send the letters to Poland, and, uh, of course, I even send the letters with a, with a different name. So they, they, they want to check the, the letters, whatever I uh, talk about, you know. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. I'm speaking with Roman Novak. He's a New Britain resident. Uh, he's an immigrant from Poland. He's lived here for a long time, and, and we're learning about Roman's story as part of an occasional series that we have on on the show about the stories of immigrants who've come to this country, who've, who've settled here in Connecticut. Now, Roman, you told me you received political asylum um, in 1973, and you remember that day, again, May 23rd, um, when you flew into JFK. Um, what plans did you make? How did you know where to go? Well, yeah, I hoping somebody at uh, uh, when you come to New York City, there was uh, that time was was uh, was plenty of work in the U.S. I guess, and uh, and we had the one uh, uh, one uh, gentleman from uh, from New England factory, the Atlantic Machine. He was he was in the, in, the, in New York, and he was watching who comes to New York, and he told me if you want to. Go for work to Connecticut. I says, of course, I want to go. I want to work. So next day we just come to Berlin by train and start working in in New England factory. So it sounds like by luck you found a job. Yeah, by luck, yes. And uh, every day, and I work every day. So <laughs> a <laughs> lot of hard work. Never miss work. <laughs> So you were working in Newington for this company, Atlantic Machine. Yeah. But where were you living? I live uh, for a couple months. I have some long cousin in Newington. That's why we we uh, 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 when we come from New York, and I tell the guys, you know, on oh, Newington, I have the cousin in Newington. Oh, you gotta work there. So so he right away when we come to New Britain, he called them. Hey, your cousin is here, but you come to work. So they take me for a couple months. Then I moved to New Britain and go on my own. Now, at the time that you moved to New Britain, was that a place where lots of Polish immigrants were living? Oh, that was. New Britain is is fascinating with the Polish people because, you know, you have New Britain Stanley Work, Fefner Bearing Company. Mm -hmm. There was like uh, almost 30,000 people working in those two factories. So it's all all Polish people, a lot of Polish clubs, and, and anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. That must have helped you because while you were waiting to be reunited with your family, there were people that, that knew about what Poland was like, its culture, its food, its customs. Did that help you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, is, it helped very much, you know. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you come, you, you, you come to the United States, it's, it's like a free, free person, right? 
you feel like wow but i was i was dreaming about bring my kids mm -hmm. so my dream come true in 1976 so soon i get the green card i send the pre the paper was application to poland mm -hmm. for my wife to to come to the kids come to us what was that like when you saw them Oh, that was, man, I can't imagine, you know, I can't even explain, you know, what's go through my mind that time. I meet them with them, my old, my youngest daughter, they, she, she was nine months old when, when I left. So she come here, was six, six years old. Mm. Yeah. So you missed a few years of her growing up, but then there she is standing before you. So now I see my grandkids growing up, so. Yeah. So you went on and, and opened up your own business. I see uh, co-founder and co-owner of Focus Technology in Berlin, yeah. a company that manufactures parts for the defense industry. Um, so looking back at your life, I mean, it's, it appears you have achieved the American dream. It is, yeah. I'm very happy, and uh, I won't change the country for, you know, <laughs> for never, you know. So that's why I'm happy. I Soon I get the five years be a permanent resident. I I just get this, you know, mm -hmm. the citizenship right away. And what about um, your daughters? How did they do um, acclimating to uh, Connecticut after living in Poland all that time? Well, they come and they of course it's a hard time to you know you come it's a new language they never <clears throat> they never learned uh, English in Poland but they come in in, in June. I put them right away to summer school to learn some English before they start the year of school. Uh, and they, they, do, they do very good. I understand they all went to Ivy League schools. Yeah, yes. So you must be very happy to see that your, your children have grown up and are doing well. I'm very happy. <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you... Um, I mean, you understand personally what it means uh, to leave a country because of persecution. You risked a lot um, in is. your path, your journey from Poland all the way to, to Connecticut. Um, you know, today there's conversations surrounding refugees and asylees, um, and it's become very politicized. Um, you know, what would you tell people who, who, who may not understand that, um, what it's like for people who have no choice but to leave their homeland so that they can have a better life for themselves, for their families? Well, if this is the case, you, 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 have, to, you have to push yourself. You know, not uh, everybody have the, uh, of course, they have the you know, ability to do that because some people are scared. They, I don't want to go nowhere, you know. I want to be here. It's, it's nothing it's not common by itself. You have to work for it. So go go for it because if you think you can make it better for your family and yourself, this is this is way and this is a country to be. I'm sure you've heard the, um, you know, there's some uh, comments in this country that, you know, they don't understand the immigrant experience. They don't understand what it's like to leave everything they know and come here. What would you tell them to Americans who are very lucky and maybe have grown up in a particular part of the country, you know, maybe um, have never had to, 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 to sacrifice like that? What would you tell them? It's, a, it's, a best, it's the best country in the world we are living in. So you have to everybody have to understand they come here and, and the plenty of plenty of work you know so you came here again you opened up a business your children are doing well i understand that you're also giving back to your community tell me about that 
That's why I'm, I'm of, uh, very involved with the Polish American Council, where we we once a year we organize big event in New Britain. They call the Polish uh, Harvard Festival, and uh, <clears throat> I I do this for 20 years now. And uh, every every profit we make on this, we give it to the people who need the most. We give it to other people, non-profit organizations like uh, Polish Saturday School, school. We give it to Polish Scouts. We we give it to uh, whatever who need who need help. Not only not only uh, uh, Polish ethnic, I, anybody. Mm-hmm. I tell you the story. One one story when the when the. Uh, Few months back, with one uh, lady, she from Puerto Rico. She she uh, dropped a newspaper in the morning for, for for me, for my house, and she left me the flyer. She lost the she lost the apartment and everything. She got an apartment by fire. She need help. So I go back right away to my uh, to to my friends and the and the and, and the organization. I ask, well, we gotta give her some money, okay. So we end up give her two hundred dollars, and I, I pull, I pull from my pocket another two hundred dollars and give it to her. So, so we don't look who they are. They need a help. We help. That's what we are. Roman Novak is a Polish immigrant, a business owner, a philanthropist. He's also a 2016 inductee into the Immigrant Heritage Hall of Fame, which honors immigrants living here in Connecticut. Roman, it was so nice to talk with you and hear your story. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I'm happy to be here, and thank you for having me here. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kyan Wolf. WNPR's executive producer is Katie Talarski. Check out WNPR.org slash where we live for more about the show. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Thanks for listening.